0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome uh, to the show this week. I'm really excited because we are joined by a special guest. He is a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Lang, do you want to introduce yourself, say hi, what's your Ph.D. candidacy about?
1: Sure. Hello. Uh, As mentioned, my name is Lang Delancey, um, and my research focuses on soil carbon storage and nitrogen cycling, and particularly how fungi influences how much carbon is stored from the atmosphere uh, into the soil, and then how that leaves through decomposition. Cool. That's so cool. Well, are,
0: are you Lang, are you a fan of uh, nature that is a bit strange?
1: Oh, very much so.
2: I would hope well, so. Well, let it fit right in. You're in the right spot. Oh, fabulous. I mean, I would hope so, partially because you study soil. That's probably the nerdiest thing you could possibly study.
0: I bet a lot of the public doesn't realize how like, truly strange the soil is <laughs> um, oh, and yeah. ev- in ev- every possible way yeah so that's it's awesome.
1: basically an aquatic ecosystem for all intents and purposes uh yeah interesting yeah i can yeah. see that yeah that,
2: but like in solid form
1: right yeah. that's crazy yeah. i mean mm-hmm. also entirely I mean, underpins food which is nice of it <laughs>
0: I would say this particular year, I, I don't know if I can support the, the uh, hypothesis or the idea that um, soil is an aquatic-based <laughs> ecosystem since <laughs> we haven't gotten any, there
1: is no water in the soil yeah. at this point. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, it's pretty Most dry. years.
0: Most years, yes. Yeah.
1: The films yeah. are strained.
0: <laughs> Ugh. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's yeah. get things going.
2: All right. Cool. Well, I'm starting us off this week. Uh, again, Lang, thanks for joining us this week. Um, so yeah. I decided for this week, since I've kind of been going on a kick of horrifying Halloweenish type <laughs> tales recently. <laughs> You're just going
0: to keep on going?
2: No, I decided to go for something a little nice, maybe a little more humorous route oh, for nice. this week. So of course, right. we're going to start in 1981, a uh, pretty contentious time in Europe. Uh, it's the middle to the end of the Cold War. Uh, you know, very humorous and lighthearted material here. (laughs) Um...
0: Right, you're starting (laughs) off strong. (laughs) Keep going.
2: And tensions are generally pretty high. Uh, the Swedish Navy, uh, to bring us all the way over to Europe, uh, is, has recently had a Soviet submarine run aground in Sweden near a naval base. Uh, so that didn't help with the tensions. That's Mm -hmm. not great. Um... Apparently, there were extenuating circumstances for the Soviet submarine to have ended up there, but that's not the point of the story. Um, The Swedish Navy is understandably suspicious. Remember, it's the height of the Cold War. Everyone (laughs) is nervous about everything. Um, So they decided to keep an eye on this area, or rather, an ear. So they kept hearing weird underwater signals and sounds. But whenever they investigated... They never could find the source of this. And in 1982, they actually pursued these noises and sounds by submarine, by boat, and helicopter for a month.
0: Awesome. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm so excited already.
2: This continued for 15 years. (laughs) Well past the Cold War... So Sweden was understandably confused because they're like, well, the Soviets clearly aren't making these noises. They're not like coming at us or trying to infiltrate our Navy area or whatever. So they brought in scientists, which they probably should have mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. 15 years earlier. Uh, okay. So they brought in uh, Professor Magnus Wahlberg in 1996 and they played for him. in This, this is
0: Mark Wahlberg's brother, right?
2: Right, of course. And they yeah. played this sound in this no, bunker not. that no civilian had ever heard before. And what <laughs> okay. would you expect this sound to be?
0: Oh, there's so many choices uh, whale, fish, mm. um, yeah. a whalefish.
1: This sort of puts me in <laughs> mind of the bloop, that like whale yeah, sound. Yeah, exactly. Pacific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I was thinking of doing that as a topic, and I was, that is that where she's going with this? But. Um, I, it's either going to be, you said it moved around as a moving sound? Yeah, it's a moving sound. So that's why I was thinking probably not like some sort of geologic feature, which can certainly make mm-hmm. noises. Mm-hmm. So that leaves biological. Mm. And, I you know, ugh, be, there's so many things that make noise. It could be, mar- it could be um, uh, some sort of marine mammal, uh, like a whale mm-hmm. or even a, um, a seal or something. Mm-hmm. And then my the second guess would be something in like the fish Family, but I'm guessing it may be something even stranger. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah okay, I'm, <laughs> I okay, I just, I'm so excited about this. Okay, so they played the sound to Professor Magnus Wahlberg, and it sounded like little, like, air bubbles or, like, frying bacon.
0: Hmm.
2: And remember, okay. this is uh, underwater. You
0: hadn't, you hadn't described what it sounded like yet, so. I'm I like know. That. So, Frying. I've, I've heard some underwater sounds that sound a bit like frying bacon. Mm-hmm,
2: yeah. mm-hmm. So he did some investigating with some colleagues uh, in Denmark. And he, they actually were investigating because the sound always happened at night. So they had put microphones and cameras oh, okay. underneath the water. And they noticed a school of herring released bubbles at night. And they tried to figure out if that was the noise. And it okay. turns out that herring this the fish when frightened or in warning of predators and at night in a school
0: oh no will
2: release <laughs> bubbles that have been stored in their air or swim bladder from their butt
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> fish farts. Yeah. So the
2: the herring are farting.
0: <laughs> herring farts. All right. <laughs> Uh Wow. So 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 it was a fish, okay. Yeah. But not maybe the way we were thinking.
2: Uh it it uh, just gets better. Hold on. So so <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I, my favorite part so far is that like the military spent <laughs> fifteen years yeah. trying to track down <laughs> farting fish. Yep. Yeah. That's outstanding.
1: Mm-hmm. And were these mm-hmm. like Soviet acting heron herring? <laughs> maybe. Like,
0: Trained herring. Yeah. <laughs>
2: they train. I mean, we we've seen it happen with seals and porpoise. Maybe it was the herring. It's true. Mm. Mm. Or it could We're be a red herring. The show a while back. Yeah. Uh, oh, so Rachel. <laughs> Rachel.
0: that is the worst dad joke I've heard all day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Uh,
1: bravo. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so they are not just farting they're actually using it to communicate during the day herring actually use all kinds of noises and visual cues but at night when they're schooling it's harder for them to be able to use visual cues in order to warn each other about predators and such because they're highly reflective fish they use have a lot of oil and things like that too to help so they rely on auditory cues and for a fish herring have amazing hearing what i find really interesting and actually the story even gets better is at this point in time there was another set of researchers finding the same conclusion but out
0: in scotland Hmm. (laughs) okay
2: so like (laughs) we're
0: gonna do the floating fish paper first how (laughs) dare you publish
2: well dr ben wilson and dr bob batty were researching this, uh, and they actually won the Ig Nobel Award for this research.
0: <laughs> of course they did, yeah. <laughs> that's outstanding. As well they should have.
2: As well they absolutely should have. Uh, they were actually looking to... They were testing herring hearing, hearing uh, to see if they could detect sounds made by whales and dolphins, which are main predators of herring. Oh, and sure, They were sure, hearing yeah, those same sounds. And they actually heard... When they were hearing these sounds, they actually sounded very similar to like a kind of noise.
0: <laughs> wow. You <laughs> and just did that on the show. That's amazing. Yes, okay. I
2: did. And it was like really high pitched and they described it quite literally as a high pitched raspberry. Huh, okay. And sure. uh, so what they decided, as they very well should have, and I'm so proud to be able to say this, they named it a fast repetitive tick. For FRT.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, of course, there it is. <laughs> nice. Well done. Uh, I mean, if you, well if you done. take the, uh, the the F the <laughs> F A from uh, this, like capital F small A, Yeah. Mm-hmm. repetitive mm-hmm. take. That's what you want, really.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so
1: they. I like when scientists have <laughs> a sense of humor. That's it's good. So it, good. Uh, to pull back the curtain a little bit, we <laughs> no joke have meetings about those dumb acronyms sometimes.
2: <laughs> so oh, good. Sure.
1: I love that uh,
2: because honestly You're like this uh, one
0: you guys this is the one that's going to win us the Ig Nobel Prize It's <laughs> going it. to put us on top.
2: we want this uh, uh, be, so honestly what's happening is it's just the herring communicating with each other they swallow air to put into their swim bladder and they release it near their butt uh, through one of their ducks and it causes bubbles and a little noise but overall it's hilarious. It's so funny. Literally I one of my sources um I there was a Huffington there was a Huffington Post article. There was um some science The Guardian actually put, has an article about this as well. But I will say that uh since this has been discovered the Swedish Navy has not discovered any uh signals nefarious or otherwise in their waters apparently. So that's always fun. Uh, from from the herring. From the herring. The herring are yeah. not attacking. They're not attacking.
0: Perfect, no. perfect.
2: So that's what I have for oh. us this week. Uh, we're <laughs> gonna take a, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we return, it'll be Lang.
0: science. What is it? Who does it? Why does it matter? The Science Night Podcast answers these questions by giving
1: scientists a place to tell their story. We also highlight science news and discoveries that will have you asking,
0: My God, what have I done?
2: What weird thing are we going to talk about this week that involves a frog?
0: They made an organic robot? Like, didn't they see the Matrix? Join us every other Friday, wherever you get podcasts, and at com. Well, Lang, whenever you're ready, you can, uh, you can dive on in. Not into the fart water, yeah. but just, you know, into your... Into your uh, yeah, now is your story
1: my, uh, mine is both flatulent and dumb acronym free, which is really, oh. uh, really a travesty <laughs> now that I know. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I spend a lot of time thinking about decomposition. Um, I also, besides sort of the academic interests in mycology and ecosystem ecology, I've been an avid mushroom forager my entire life. Um, sure. So I'd sort of like to marry these and talk about a particular decomposer that has, uh, in my mind, gotten some short shrift based on how cool it is. Um, Ooh, I was, okay. I'm intrigued. To sort of give up, uh, give up the nugget right away. I'd like to talk to you about the mushroom that makes rocket fuel. Oh, okay. What? Gyromitra escalenta, uh, potentially gyromitra. No one knows how Latin names are pronounced. Anyone that says they does uh, are lying or says they do. Uh, called the, And this is one of the false morels. Uh, this is sort of how most okay. people will know it. It's got okay. a bunch of... Other uh, more descriptive common names. It's called the calf brain mushroom, conifer false Lovely. morel, lorchel, lorkel, uh, beefsteak fungus. Although there's <laughs> many beefsteak fungi. Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there a beefcake fungus? I don't know if I want that, Kirk. Not this yet. That'd be pretty funny.
0: But I mean, that's the <laughs> thing. That's Roofcake. what's
1: so great about common names. You just gotta pick one. And that's right. I just I just right. invented it. So yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna yeah. Now there's a bee Done. pick. cake. Check. Done. <laughs> so, sort of, it's lumped in this false morel category. Um, they're not okay. actually all that related to morels. Nor did they look much like Morel's. Uh Their okay. last point of connection is at the order level. Uh, they sort of, they're weirdos uh, in the looks department, also in the chemistry department, which we'll see. Uh, and they pop up at about the same time in similar-ish locations. Okay. Okay. Um, And sort of one of the reasons they're called false morels is that they are typically understood to be poisonous at least and generally are listed as deadly. Uh, They're both acutely and chronically toxic, so they'll kill you now and later. Awful. Um, The worst of both worlds. Oh, yeah, just (laughs) exactly what you're looking for (laughs) in your false choice edible mushroom. Um, And as I mentioned, the poisonous compound in this, or what actually messes you up, is uh, there's a compound in this mushroom called gyromitrin, um, hence the genus name gyromitra, Mm -hmm. which is hydrolyzed in the acid of human stomachs to monomethylhydrazine, or MMH, which is a rocket propellant. Oh um, my goodness. What? Yeah. It does yeah, this in our
2: stomach? Yeah. Oh God. And um, it's a
0: it's a rather nasty rocket propellant as well. <laughs> oh
1: <Yeah>. no. <laughs> uh Kirk, it seems like you might have some uh more insight into this, but this is a and space nerd, and that is that <laughs> oh, is yeah. a
0: fuel you do not want to be anywhere near or come into contact with. Oh good. Yeah, some of them are, you know, pretty like, you know, lot of, lot of the uh newer rockets are using things like methane or mm-hmm. you know oxygen hydrogen stuff like that um yeah that that stuff's nasty
1: yeah Ooh. and so despite this incredible toxicity it and like this should by all rights be the weirdest thing about this mushroom um but despite right. this incredible toxicity uh and knowing the risks, these mushrooms have been widely consumed for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You said it was um, poisonous, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I believe the word
0: <laughs> deadly was, <laughs> in fact, uh, yes. uttered.
1: Yeah. Um, they are... Okay. Humans
0: do stupid stuff, though, so uh, let's is, find out about it. Know, yeah, that's
1: fair. <laughs> so it's particularly popular in... Uh, Scandinavia, and northeastern Europe. Of Um, course.
0: Shaman type stuff?
1: No. Uh, Just standard everyday eating, uh, particularly in Finland, um, but it's also popular in Bulgaria, Spain. (laughs) It's previously been popular in um, Germany and Switzerland, although now the sale of it's regulated there. But in uh, Finland, for example, you can buy it at farmer's markets um what it is why what what why so um <laughs> w- we'll get into
0: that. okay so okay, okay. Um,
1: i just for a particular um i'm incredibly parochial they're also consumed in the united states but essentially exclusively in the upper peninsula of michigan um <laughs> because of the finnish immigrants there mm-hmm. Th- okay. they all came all right. over and we're like oh yeah this is fine Um.
0: Yeah, we love eating these.
1: Yeah, anywhere from you know up to a million people regularly consume this mushroom at least in the 1970s. Um, the wild. (sighs) Well, a lot of people
0: are eating mushrooms in the 1970s.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, potentially this is the least of their problems. Yeah. Um, So the wild thing is, we don't really know why there's this variation. Um. People have reported uh eating even the same meal that from the same scooped from the same bowl and one person gets wildly ill and another person shows essentially no effects. There's some okay. indication that this is based on genetics and the speed with which you can uh acetylate some of these byproducts of hydrolysis um sure. But, you know, it's sort of, the jury's still out on why there is this human variation. There are some preparation steps that people can take. Um, Gyromitrin has a lower boiling temperature than water, so you can boil it. Um, The thing about that is you need to parboil it like four or five times Mm. and throw out the water between each boil. Um, but even gotcha. that you need to do with vents or outside because the inhalation of it oh, can also be poisonous. <laughs> Come
0: on. Of course. Why
1: not? <laughs> um, this
0: does not seem like a food that is worth consuming. It sounds like a lot of work, Lang. <laughs> yeah. it. There's, there's better mushrooms out there. And this is coming from someone who doesn't enjoy mushrooms. Uh, yeah. Wow. Ooh.
1: It is staggering. Uh, I feel at this point, as sort of uh, avid mycophagist myself, I need to (laughs) say to the nice people listening, don't Mm -hmm. eat gyromitra. Um, (laughs) There are conflicting reports of other species in this genus uh, with varying levels of this toxin, uh, with varying levels of preparation needed. It's probably not worth it. doesn't uh, sound yeah, like, like a family.
0: I can see how if you have like a family living on their farm and they've picked this particular, you know, strain that grows on their farm for mm-hmm. thousands of years. And it's like their their family is used to it. They have a certain way of cooking in it. And, you know, but maybe this, this sort of quote unquote same mushroom from mm-hmm. thousands of miles away cooked in, in a different way would be totally unsafe. And it's essentially not even the same. Maybe mushroom at that point. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and there's uh, a, there actually has been some research in the 70s and 80s, particularly among Finnish and French scientists, about uh, the biogeography of these. Uh, you know the contents of this gyromitrine sure. in these fungi, and it's hugely variable based on altitude, based on temperature. Um, mm-hmm. Gotcha. We really sort of have, despite how widespread these mushrooms are, and their, you know, the varying claims of consumption. Um, you know, they used to sell them canned in supermarkets. Uh, oh. We really, oh, man. there's surprising gaps in knowledge, despite the fact that we people have been writing about Gyromitra mushrooms scientifically for like 150 years and there's been folk knowledge about them passed down for probably thousands of years if etymology of Lorkel is anything to go by uh
2: yeah real weird that's crazy and it produces rocket fuel and we still eat it but it produces it in our stomachs I'm good thank you I I like mushrooms to be fair I'm, I'm good
0: we eat We eat a lot of things that are processed into other things in our body. Mm -hmm. I mean, people drink alcohol, which is literal poison.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's also...
0: It's one of the best-selling products out there, right? So we put a lot
1: of things in our bodies. There are very low yet sometimes detectable levels of this toxin in store-bought button mushrooms as well.
2: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I'm going to stare I'm going to stare at my mushrooms a little longer before I eat them now.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing. You've been eating them and it's been fine up to this point. Yeah, I'm I remember sure. hearing people talk
0: about mushrooms saying that like in one sense all mushrooms are probably toxic in a high enough dose. Yeah. Because yeah. they contain so many fascinating compounds, but it's tra- the, the you know the dose makes the poison and
1: Yeah. Uh, as my father says to me frequently, there are old mushroom hunters and there are bold mushroom hunters. There are no <laughs> old, bold mushroom hunters. <laughs> right. There you go.
2: Uh, thanks, Lang. That was awesome.
0: Yeah, that's something.
2: Yeah, thank uh, you all. Yeah, uh, We're going to go to a break and then we'll have Kirk.
0: That'll be me. See you soon. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm starting off this week with a good old fashioned warning. Uh, You're starting my topic off this week, week? is going to feature. I'm starting off my topic this week. Ah. Uh, <laughs> with a with, with a warning is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, good. I'm my topic is going to feature frank discussions of uh, STIs and STDs and how people get them. Uh, ah. And I know some we have some fa- families listening. So mm. if this isn't a conversation for today, hey I'd Mazzano, say, maybe not today, thanks for listening today. this week. Thanks for listening this week, and uh, thanks for enjoying the show. Goodbye. Okay, good. We're all still here now. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, It should come as no surprise, uh, given that disease is a thing that, diseases are like a thing that exists, Mm -hmm. that they exploit every mechanism possible to infect us, right? So we can get infections from the air we breathe, from the things we touch, and of course, from the bodily fluids we swap. Uh, when it comes to stopping disease, we usually look for ways to stop transmission. And right. failing that, we focus on helping fight off infections that we then get. So mm-hmm. antibiotics have really helped a lot on that front. But as hopefully we all know by now, antibiotics only work on bacteria, not on viruses. Mm-hmm. And as we discovered with right. COVID, uh, you know, when it comes to a virus, things aren't so simple. Uh, no. We have made a little progress on antiviral medications, but there's still nothing like antibiotics at all. So when it comes to sexually transmitted diseases, especially those, not co- or those caused by bacteria, uh, many of these were pretty like, severely damaging in the past, and now they're kind of considered really not a big deal as long as you can get antibiotics. Mm-hmm. But the viral ones, those are still really problematic. And the two biggest of concern are HIV and herpes. Right. And those are both viruses that there is no cure for. Um so if you get them in your body, that that's it. You got them Mm -hmm. in your body. Uh, You can keep the infection from being active and like flaring up with medication. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can you can suppress those, but they're you can't get rid of them. Yeah. They're with you forever. Yep, they sure are. So because they're so problematic, our researchers are always looking for ways to not only cure somebody who has them, who's been infected, but more importantly, perhaps, to also keep people from getting infected in the first place, right? Yeah. So when it comes mm-hmm. to sexually transmitted diseases, sure, you can abstain from sexual contact, but uh, we are humans, and millions of years have shown that that just uh, isn't as effective as some people <laughs> might wish, so it's not necessarily a yeah, good solution. Yeah, abstinence-based
2: uh, education really, you know, that doing great. it yeah,
0: doesn't work. Doesn't work.
1: The very fact uh, that they continue to be humans indicates that uh, some transmission events occur.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um, So we we do have things like condoms, uh, but those are, uh, and they're very effective, but not a hundred percent. Right. And so people have looked for other solutions or maybe things you could um, augment uh, uh, with. Like, so you can have more than one solution at once. Mm -hmm. Now, a -hmm. group of researchers this fall, Announced their work on a possible, um, I don't think we can call it like a solution, but rather another possible tool that could help prevent the spread of s- sexually transmitted infections. Um, mm. And their idea uh, is an antiviral lubricant. Mm. Uh, now, okay. Sure, we're yeah. talking about viruses here, and that is something to do with nature, but I'm sure some of you are kind of going, hold on, Kirk, like, where's the strange part? All right. I mean, that's pretty pretty strange anyway. Standard science lesson so far. And all I'm going to say is just hold tight. Oh, God. (laughs) It's coming
2: soon. Oh,
1: no. The
0: researchers at the KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm uh, published (laughs) their results of their study in a scientific journal, Advanced Science, recently.
1: I'm glad a king is Is behind this. uh, Right? They. What's that? I'm glad a king is behind this, if it's the Royal yes, Institute. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the Royal Institute, right. It's royal back. I'll show sure you.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's a wonderful way to look at it. Um, <laughs> and they, they created a lube uh, that was based on all natural materials that was, mm-hmm. get this, 80% effective Whoa. in trapping both Whoa. HIV and, and herpes viruses oh, with, within the lube itself. Oh. Um, so they could then- what? not go on to infect people. Oh, that's so
2: weird, that but is, also what? Oh, that's
0: amazing! cool. That's right? so cool. Um, and oh. while the researchers realized that while, you know, sort of like you had like organic chemists and whatnot, you could probably come up with some sort of complex, like designer substance you could get that would essentially trap viruses and immobilize mm-hmm. them. Um, but there was already a perfectly useful natural product that could already do the job, you guys. Oh God. Oh no.
2: <laughs> yeah, Kirk. What? Uh-huh. What is that perfectly natural product that we totally oh will be using instead of this lubricant that has royal-backed science?
0: Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> um, that product, simply put, is cow mucus. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> oh no. Kurt, yes. Why? That's oh, right. No, you too Tur- could someday no. help
0: fight infections wow. with a slippery cow mucus ah. lubricant. Oh, no. Wow. All right. So Tur- <laughs> no. <laughs> Hold on. When I need- saw this, I'm like, I ah. am talking about this. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. I'm
2: yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, ready God. to hear right, more? Me, this is awful. Let me let me break it down. Let me break it down for you. Um. So, this is, not, this is not cow mucus. Like this is a, a lube made of something called mucin. Mm. Um, there are many mm-hmm. elements uh, uh-huh. in, let's just say, snot, okay, mm-hmm. other than just pure mucin. Um, and so, we're not talking about using cow snot. Um, it sounds pretty nasty. Good. And I think I'm be a very hard glad sell. about that. Um, so, just looking at <laughs> very just this much one ingredient. which a hard yes. Yeah. Um, this one ingredient, mucin, I will say mucin is like the primary ingredient in 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 mucus though mm-hmm. like it's it makes up the majority of the weight. there's other impurities and whatnot, but mucus basically is hydrated mucin um so while mucin could theoretically come from you know anywhere. Uh, the most uh, common commercially available source is bovine mucin. Okay. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. byproduct of the uh, the meat industry, so it's something mm. you can you can just buy. Uh, so the actual compound that use is called bovine submaxillary mucins. Uh, uh-huh. There was lots of sensational headlines mm-hmm. around this last month, but uh, no one is advocating using cow snot as a personal lubricant, <laughs> as, at least as, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, I Oh, God. Oh, well, there's, there's one. Way to go, Lang. I'm going to um, warn Shelby. <laughs> yeah, so um, mucin, you guys, is a really, compl- like, really complex molecule. Uh, mm-hmm. It's found not only in bovine, but also human, uh, as well as, as far as I know, basically all mucus. And let's remember that the primary role of mucus in the body is to trap viruses mm-hmm. and keep them from infecting you. That's why we have mucus. So um, it does this by being very complex. And when viruses come into contact with mucus they actually bind to it like essentially on the atomic huh. level um, and they get hmm. stuck in the mucus ah. and um the researchers took uh this wasn't just like they didn't just use just mucin. So what they did is they mm-hmm. took mucin and they created a hydrogel out of it using something mm. called dynamic covalent cross-linking reactions uh which sounds like a lot of like fancy science mumbo-jumbo, but yeah. anyone who's made sli- slime from white glue and like, like borax, mm-hmm. yeah. has, you've, you've basically done the same thing. You've created a polymer by cross-linking mm-hmm. all these long chains. Got it. Um, so what they basically did is they made the mucin even more complex than it was naturally by cross-linking oh. all these molecules to each other mm. so it could trap even more viruses. Um, <laughs> kind of made it more sticky, but it uh-huh. also was very, they found very slippery still, uh, mm-hmm. which Good. is important um, yeah, so to be clear, this wasn't just rehydrated mucin. Um, they did actually test that as well, just basically mm-hmm. adding water back to the mucin and basically creating a kind of really pure mucus. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of worked, but it was was definitely not as mm-hmm. effective. This is an engineered product, mm-hmm. and they came up mm-hmm. with like the, the the process of doing this so one super fascinating side effect of using mucin um, is that it also has an immunosuppressive quality. Okay. And now huh. you might think, well, wait, that's, that's a bad thing, right? Because, like, if viruses are attacking you, you want a more active immune response. I but mean, But interestingly, generally, this is not the case. Not the case with HIV. Um, mm. One of the insidious things about HIV is that it actually hijacks your body's immune system to actually help it replicate even more copies of itself. Mm. Which Dang. is, like... Horrifying. It's part of the reasons yeah. HIV is so bad. Um, and this same study showed that mucin was actually able to prevent HIV from doing that. Whoa. So it's like a double, it, not only does it trap it, it actually kind of knocks down its ability to hijack your immune system. So super cool. Uh, obviously, a lot more research needs to be done on this. Um, our bodies naturally use mucin to stop trapping clear viruses from our bodies. So now scientists have figured out how to make a personal lubricant. With the same properties, and we see once again that nature is uh, really clever. And sometimes Ooh, yeah. you don't need to completely recreate the wheel. You just need to maybe figure out how to do what nature does, and maybe make it even better. Oh. Um, so this is just a study. Uh, so you can't rush down to your store next time you're in the mood. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I know there you're it a is. dad, yep.
2: but oh my god, <laughs> yeah,
0: you're not the only one with bad jokes, Rachel. Um, <laughs> oh. But perhaps someday. Oh. Someday, uh, we'll have maybe mucin in our lube, and it'll be just one more tool used to help slow the spread of disease. So um, if you want to read the very dry and technical paper yourself, I, it actually could use some lube. Um, it is <laughs> in the September 14th, 2022 issue of Advanced Science, and very coolly, it is available to read for free nice. online, open, a- open access, which is Woo! we love. So. We love that. Whew, that's what I got this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I did,
2: Kirk. But, uh, I'm gonna uh, be thinking about that for the
0: rest of the week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's both like fascinating and like uh, uh, I, it's, mu- it's it's mucus like mm-hmm. uh, gross. Yeah, but there it is. Huh? There it is. Cool. Well, well thanks for tuning in, everybody, and uh, we appreciate you being here. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.